Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Renewables, uh, the first ever Renewables episode recorded in my home office. So uh, welcome to my home. And um, I have Mahomes and the boys uh, behind me. Hopefully we're a few far enough removed from the Super Bowl that we've forgotten um, all about that that game. But anyways, uh, I have a baby coming any day, so we're being safe and quarantining at home. And so uh, we're coming at you live from, from Kansas City, Missouri today. And we really appreciate Sean Kelly, the CEO of Amperon, coming back on the show um, to talk about Texas, what happened in Texas. And uh, obviously big national news, everybody you know in the industry and outside of the industry has been talking about this. So Sean, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Uh, it's great to see you and always great to have you on the, as a guest. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me again. And I'm in the guest room. I got, I got pushed in here today, just the joys of still COVID and working from home and uh, all that fun stuff. And hey, at least you have the chief stuff up there. We're, we're just giving away the Texans in Houston. We've decided to just completely <laughs> throw in the towel. Cause, and you have a baby on the way as well, right? Yeah, we're two months behind you. So the wife is, it's baby shower weekend. We got all of that. Um, so my, uh, my last uh, two weeks has not been very, not, I guess, been distracted work-wise, but also obviously have a lot of the same uh, honeydews, I guess, that, that you know very well. Sure. Yeah, it's been a crazy uh, month for for the whole industry. And so let's start on a personal level. You know, you're obviously in Houston. Um, was, how how'd you do? Did you have power? Did you not have power? It was a scary week there. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting for sure. Basically, the Thursday before it happened. So this happened Valentine's weekend. And uh, the Thursday before it happened, we knew it was going down. Our meteorologists had been saying this about a week or so out. Um, I had, I've had associates and colleagues of mine, Evan Karen sent me a text where he like called it on the 4th of February when prices were still trading really low. And so kind of knew it was happening, had that buildup, had a lot of, uh, some press, had some really good press, um, tough venturing my favorite energy blog to read. And they, without us knowing, uh, announced announced um, that energy suppliers should use us. They're not an investor or anything. So that was very flattering. That was that Saturday, uh, just all hands on deck for customers all weekend. Then Valentine's happened. So uh, I posted on LinkedIn, like I knew it was going to get bad. I knew we were going to have rolling blackouts. And so post on LinkedIn, uh, whatever little bit I could do, just saying, hey, here's some ideas. And one of the things that I joked about was a candlelight dinner for Valentine's Day. Uh, so sure enough, just to take my own advice, wife and I had a nice uh, candlelight dinner uh, and knew on Sunday that the lights were going out. So just from being a trader for 12 years and having gone through this before, being on the wrong side of the polar vortex, uh, which was not fun. And I lived in Chicago. So um, then seeing summer 2011, the firm I was at at that time was on the right side of summer 2011 in ERCOT, where you had record heat building but just knew that just 
that feeling in your gut you knew it was going to happen. Uh, so went to bed at midnight, woke up at 2 a.m. and just checked all the pipes were dripping, everything like that, and knew it was going to happen. Power went off at 5 a.m. Again, seven-month pregnant wife. Uh, we just yeah. stuck it out for about 12 hours. And finally, a good friend of mine uh, called and said, you got to get over here. He's like, it's freezing. Like your wife, uh, he and the wife are good friends. He's like, you and Tati, you've got to get over here. You've got to stay with us. Uh, so we wound up staying two nights um, at my buddy Josh's house because he lives downtown and they kept the lights downtown. Um, the federal prison's down there, literally next door to him. So we figured that would be like a pretty good if they shut down the electricity to that, we've got bigger issues. Um, right. And so we just went down there and stayed. Uh, but he took in multiple other people and probably literally probably two thirds of the people I knew in Houston, everyone I was texting, we're out, we're out, we're out. Um, so it's just crazy to see you think, oh, it's power outage. Like, I'll just go here or go there. But literally, I probably knew three people that were uninterrupted um, out wow. of the like, dozens and dozens I text. And so that happened. And then we came back to our house Wednesday evening, um, had some work stuff, so couldn't check on it earlier. I think we came on that Wednesday morning, uh, but then the water went out. And so it was just kind of a calamity, uh, just a perfect storm, literally. And the thing, the thing that really gets me, and uh, obviously we'll get into more of this later, is just the winterization. Um, after living in Chicago, after living in New York, it wasn't that cold. We went on two, three mile walks every single day. Uh, so the technology is there to winterize us for these things. Chicago, I mean, I've seen these temperatures in April when I lived up there. Uh, April 2015, I remember that was when winter showed up late. And it was definitely, we got, I think we got as low as 12 degrees Fahrenheit here. And again, cold, but I mean, Europe, Europe a little north of me, 12 degrees you've definitely seen before. And right. it's, it's not fun, but it's it's happened. Windmills can be used to it. Windmills run in places that are significantly colder than Texas. Um, and same thing from uh, from a natural gas standpoint, from a coal standpoint, just all of the plants. It was just a just a disaster of not weatherizing plants uh, well enough. Is I think one of the underlying problems. Yeah, and it's uh, first of all glad you had somewhere to go. Uh, I know folks in Dallas and Houston and Austin, everybody sort of had different stories. One of my buddies pitched a tent in his apartment and had all of his camping gear, loves to camp, so had big sleeping bags and stuff and, and made do that way. But um, glad glad you had a place to stay and, and that um, you were safe, first of all. And then secondly, I do think it's interesting, we don't really get into politics on the show, but of course this became politicized and it was, oh, renewable energy failed, and then it was no, gas failed. And, and so interesting to hear you mention just sort of the weatherization in general, whether no matter what type of plant you are, and not that we necessarily wanna point fingers or, or find one you know bad guy, but whose fault is that? I mean, who, is there a state sort of standard that's followed or who's to blame for the lack of preparedness uh, for these cold events and winterization? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think everyone can kind of get on board and say weatherization, we should have it. Uh, I mean, this happened in 2011. It's not like this happened, like, so the pandemic happened. When's the last pandemic? 1917, 100 year event. When the last one happened in 2011 and before that happened in 89, it's a recurring theme. 
obviously climate change is not global warming in my opinion was a uh i guess bad marketing uh climate change means more tumultuous events more volatility and we're seeing this all the time we see california wildfires we saw australian wildfires uh, i mean we've seen this in texas and again this event was not a black swan event it was very easily predictable um it was cold but it was not crazy cold uh, again the, in chicago i walked to work in minus 42 degrees fahrenheit uh the day the polar vortex hit that was cold i literally froze my face and wore all the clothes in my closet um so that's kind of where that's what i just have a hard time with is who needs to actually foot the bill for this winterization and uh and i think it's a little bit of everybody um i definitely think that if renewables for instance they get credits and so they get credits they're incentivized to build well so they can actually produce at a lower number than uh than a natural gas or a coal or a nuclear can so i mean you look at that a little bit maybe there should be a different price metric for someone who is subsidized or a higher standard of hey you need to actually weatherize uh, your plants there were twelve thousand megawatts that weren't available um so that's obviously not helpful twelve thousand out of the i think twenty eight thousand to the capacity um the other thing too is um i guess on the natural gas side the pipes can very easily be weatherized. This happened during the polar vortex, and then it hasn't happened since because the Northeast said, hey, everybody get in line or you're getting serious fines. I mean, that's the way we get anyone to do anything, right? You find them, you yeah. hit their wallet. Um, and so that's that's what I think is a lot of it. But at the end of the day, the, the thing that I'm most confused about and I would really appreciate the most clarity on is from ERCOT. Uh, when you put out a report in November of 2020 saying there's 80,000 um, megawatts available, you need to be pretty sure that the real number is not 45,000. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can't be off by that magnitude. If it was 80,000 and it came in at 72,000, no big deal. That's 10%, 10% bandwidth, no problem. Um, but right. when you're literally, I mean, <laughs> pushing 50%, of what you're saying the capacity is that to me is a problem uh, just in how you do your analysis so i think a lot of the blame is there um one of the other things too just is uh i'm putting in the so they put in this thing called eea3 uh and so it's energy emergency alert three there's obviously a one a two and then three is the worst so they put that in but then they kept it in for thursday and friday after the blackouts were over and there was a lot of excess capacity. So it was just kind of one of those things that, I mean, it felt like the rules just kept changing and can't, it's, it's hard to like, it's hard to win a game when the rules change in the middle. Um, and so I think, and some of the rules help suppliers, some of the rules help generators, a lot of the rules hurt suppliers, a lot of the rules like hurt rate payers, all the rules hurt rate payers. So I mean, yeah. that's one of the other big problems I had is you can't you can't in a whim say, oh, by the way, like a touchdown's worth nine points for this team now, just because you know, like that's how it's going to go. So so dig dig into that for me a little bit because I, there's always been a convert. There's been a long-standing conversation that the grid is outdated and there's issues there with upgrading, making upgrades, and things like that. And obviously the ERCOT, you know, the utilities kind of where probably a lot of people's um, head goes first when, when they're thinking about what, what happened here. Um, 
but dig in a little bit specifically not don't have to cover every every rule change uh as you put it but dig in a little bit to like specifically what what did they change give me an example and give our listeners and viewers an example of kind of what changed in the middle of the game and maybe some of the you know um results of that 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 hurt people I mean, I think the biggest one is, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to hit this rule on the, on the head exactly, but there's a certain amount of prints of 9,000. The market cap in ERCOT is 9,000. It's uh, different from the traditional capacity markets uh, in that it has a higher, they're encouraging people to build by increasing the price cap saying, hey, you can go get this magical $9,000 number as opposed to other markets that are in like the $1,000 plus range. And uh, so much, much higher price cap and they are going, um, yeah, that's what they're, they're incentivizing people to do. But there's a rule that only so many $9,000 prints can occur or 50 times natural gas. So the natural gas prices went out of control. It went from like 15 to 181 to 400. And so just, I don't know, I, I've only traded very, very limited natural gas, especially physical natural gas. So I'm not really sure how they got there. Obviously, I understand supply and demand, but the difference between 181 and 400 is a big difference. So um, ERCOT basically said, hey, we are going to continue to print 9,000s, just FYI, uh, even though they had hit the number of 9,000s they were supposed to be hitting. Because Mm -hmm. then I think it goes to 50 times fuel or... Uh, or $2,000 is next. So now it's going to be interesting as the summer rolls around, which is what the fear is in ERCOT, then guess what? If the price cap can only be $2,000 all summer because gas is super cheap, like three, four bucks during the summer, it'll never 50 times is a rounding error uh, compared to 9000 then the price cap just drops significantly for summer. So that's just something that's kind of random and arbitrary, uh, continuing these EEA three alerts. So at Ampron, what we do is we uh, we help our uh, help deregulated suppliers hedge. We have a platform for them. We give them a 15 day forecast on an hour by hour basis, saying this is what you need to buy to fulfill your obligation. Obviously, it was very important. Uh, our data scientists did a great job because when a third of your customer base is out, there were four and a half million. Uh, outages out of 12 and a half million meters in Texas. Not all those meters in ERCOT, but the, the site I was looking at, that was the number they had, four and a half out of 12 and a half. So you're looking at 35 or so percent. Um, and so it was very, our data science team did a great job just using those outages and trying to give our customers the absolute best uh, forecast going forward. But then also going backwards, um, settlements are crucially important. So ERCOT is still having a hard time with settlements for those days, Monday through Wednesday, when all the power was down. So that's what we've been spending a lot of time um, with our clients as well, is just saying, hey, this is what you actually owe. You're actually long. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, our clients are long, uh, getting back to the original question. So they're actually, they're fortunate because they hedge correctly. And so they're selling back into the market at 9,000 that helps them a lot because they were bleeding on like Saturday and Sunday had high prices, but then Thursday, the grid is healthy. And if the grid is healthy, the price should be therefore, I mean, a healthy price uh, in terms of 
a hundred bucks or 20 bucks or something like that. And it wasn't, it was artificially capped at 9,000, um, which I've never seen that every, when I traded every five minutes, you just sat there on pins and needles waiting for the next print. And to know on, I think it was Tuesday that it's just going to be straight 9,000s for the rest of the day. It doesn't matter if people are using electricity, if people aren't, we've just, we just arbitrarily mandated it. Now, that was the biggest rule change that I think bothers me because our clients got load back on Thursday and Friday. And so they got load back and now they're being charged $9,000 and the grid's healthy. Um, the, I guess the reserve margin was 12,000 megawatts. That's a lot. When the grid was about to black out, right when I woke up at two o'clock in the morning, it was 400 megawatts. And at, at 2 a.m., obviously, you've got a little higher usage than you do at 2 a.m. Uh, during the morning peak. And the schedule was literally at 400 megawatts. So that's what I just don't understand. Um, I absolutely do not want to be in ERCOT's shoes right now. I'm not jealous of that position at all. Um, but nonetheless, um, I just... It, changing the rules on the fly. They were in a hard situation, but some those are the kind of the two that I really don't understand because uh, it's not yeah. fair when you when you go in thinking the rules are, are X and they changed to Y. Yeah, and it left some people with some pretty pretty hefty bills. Uh, I know I, I read some, you know, of the kind of national stories, the, the big bills that I had some people um, some friends who live down there and in the industry saying, man, I'm glad my power was out because uh, I wouldn't have wanted to pay that utility bill. I'm on real-time pricing. And uh, so really, really fascinating what happened. And um, what do you think going forward, how can we, how can we address this? How can we change this? Um, or how can the utility or suppliers act differently uh, to, to better be prepared for an event like this and make sure that, that this doesn't happen again? I mean, I think the biggest thing, people in Texas uh, are very fortunate in the fact that they have some of the cheapest electricity out there. Uh, I mean, if you if you were on Gritty, uh, obviously the most famous retailer out there after this, I had uh, my head of product was sitting in his house freezing and he said his saving grace was he got on Twitter and looked up hashtag Gritty just to see what people were saying, because it's obviously a completely real-time based pricing and they encourage their customers to leave. And you have to, Gritty is a great business model. I like it. I like time of use, but you have to understand what you're getting into. And you also have to have a house that essentially you can control exactly how it is necessary and shut off if you need to. Um, yeah. And I, I personally am not on it because I want a little bit of, uh, I mean, what Ampron does is hedging. We tell you to hedge. Why would I go get electricity that's not hedging? Um, right. So that's kind of one of my uh, biggest things. But we're very fortunate to have such low electricity prices. So I think we should just add a little bit of a charge all across everyone, a little bit to the generators, a little bit to the end user, like a little bit to the gas pipelines, a little bit to everyone across the board, and just mandate weatherization. Um, yep. that's what I really think is key because again, it was cold, but it was not that cold compared to what we see in the Northern United States. And, uh, that's what I would do personally, because again, for like, for fractions of a cent added to your bill, it's, it's not going to move the needle. You're going to go out there and you're going to, you're going to go and you're going to see this. And obviously it'll hit like 
commercial or industrial, but they pay the lowest rates anyways, because it's a flat, I mean, they have a very um, flat uh, load factor. And so, I mean, it's gonna, it would hit everyone evenly, but Texas is so inexpensive power wise. That's why you see a lot of companies moving here. That's why you see a lot of mining. That's why we have a steel mill going in. That's why Tesla's going in. Um, I mean, outside of the, the tax implications, but electricity is inexpensive here. The grid has so much renewables uh, and we're not getting nickel and dime for everything like California. And so we can just pay a little bit more to help with this winterization. And if everyone chips in, the next time this event will uh, comes, then it'll be it'll be a non-factor. Um, sure. Some pipes and so goes it. But uh, I mean, that, that would be my answer personally. Well, it's good to know that there's a, a plausible solution out there. The big question is who's going to pay for it, right? And uh, and what's the funding mechanism for that? But I I, I don't have any uh, issues, I think, with the way you put it. Everybody kind of chips in and, and pays their fair share and make sure we, we go and do what we need to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. So one of the things I'm shifting gears a little bit that I think is really cool about your company um, is it's very data-driven and I know you have uh, meteorologists on staff. So what are you looking at now? What are they looking at now? I've read a couple of articles that, hey, this might, this could happen again in March. There could be some cold weather in March. Uh, we're recording this so our listeners know on Friday, February 26th. And uh, we're hoping to get it out really soon thereafter because obviously this is a current event. But looking at the next two weeks or 30 days, What's your team saying? Are they seeing uh, an opportunity this might happen again, or is that buzz? No, uh, I mean, the 11 to 15 day on the weather models uh, looked like they had a little hint of cold, but uh, in our weekly update or our daily update that we put out, uh, it all went away today. Um, our meteorologists have said it might be mild, cool, but it's not important. Um, but everyone obviously has like PTSD right after an event like this. Sure. I mean, get hit with a hurricane the next hurricane everybody's like clogged up by 45 heading north um so and understandably so but no we don't see any more events like this uh but i will say the the best uh meteorologist out there is definitely uh puxatani phil he he nailed this six more weeks of winter thing yeah yeah and you heard it here first by the way the sean's team uh there, I, I trust your word and your prediction. So um, I appreciate that insight. Um, really, really interesting. Um, how do you, if you're a broker, like, you know, and you have all these clients who a lot of them probably got dinged uh, pretty hefty bills, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know what the percentage of people who actually had power and racked up really big charges, but how do you explain this to your to your clients? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, if you have any large commercial, even medium commercial uh, and industrial clients who don't care about demand response or don't care to even be a part of the di multiple different products uh, that are out there, I think this is going to be a real eye opener uh, that, yeah, building owners do need to actually care. A lot of people are on a block and index. Uh, a block is where you just buy a flat number across all 24 hours or sometimes across just the on peak. So 6 a.m. To, to 10 p to 10 p.m. And then you you float the rest. So you get whatever the real time is for your imbalance that goes above and below. Um, so I think that that product could become more interesting because you would 
get paid if you lower below that block price and sell back to the grid. Um, so that's one thing that I think uh, from a broker standpoint, and then the customers who need a little more handholding, um, like I know, like who introduced us, Andrew Barth, like they're great at this going out and helping uh, at CSD, the large commercial and industrial clients and saying, hey, this is um, like, this is what you can do in this event. You have generation. You can essentially become a virtual power plant and sell it back to the grid at $9,000. Well, that's really interesting to me. In fact, I would even call another company um, that I like is Enchanted Rock. And so Enchanted Rock goes and puts generation uh, there. They have all the HEB accounts. And so it was great to go to HEB and hear Enchanted Rock uh, bumping and a guy named Sean Andrews like posted that and I was like that's pretty funny he went up to HEB to hear the these enchanted rock generators go but guess what you can go sell back to the grid and or just not lose your power not lose obviously all the the refrigeration that, that a grocery store has um, so I mean I would become more aware of that uh, also building efficiencies building efficiencies are cheap this is not the early 2000s. This isn't like the first clean tech bubble where, I mean, the solar you put on your roof. I remember my uncle just feeling terrible about putting solar on people's roof because he knew it was not going to work. And this was again, like 20 something years ago. Now the solar, I mean, I watched the Tesla roof get installed uh, in Dana Point, California this summer. And it was a thing of beauty. Um, I mean, the roofs you can put up there, if you're a large commercial industrial, absolutely put solar on your roof. Uh, I mean, it's great and it makes you less reliant on other people. The way that you don't get affected by legislation is just pull yourself out of the legislation and be able to do these building upgrades. Um, so that's the real thing that I would take away from that. There's so many different things you can do to make your building more efficient. And it's unfortunate uh, that a lot of building owners, I used to deal with building owners in New York and I sold my company before Local Law 97 came, but Local Law 97 just forces everyone to go and actually make their building more energy efficient. So for the things that we're trying to do on the grid here, energy efficiency is key. And again, back to the whole, everybody chip in a little bit. If you're able to chip into your building, make it more efficient, change your regular lighting to LED, which people have been doing for dozens of years. Uh, then I mean, that's really what I see as the, the way that hopefully this is a wake up call to people who are just kind of complacent. Uh, I mean, from my standpoint, we've had suppliers who had said, mm, my forecast is fine. Like, it's good enough. And now people understand that forecasting is extremely important. Uh, the other thing people don't understand, the grid's having issues right now. But guess what's coming? Everyone is bullish on electric vehicle. I see probably one in 1,000 LinkedIn posts that's like, go combustion engine. Uh, I mean, I just bought a new home and made sure that there was the the big like um uh, what is it like the 240 volt plug in the garage i had the builder yep. put that in because i don't have a tesla now but i have a feeling that's going to be my next car almost for sure and if not when i sell this house in 10 15 years i believe that's going to be the way of the future and it'd be like having a gas station in your garage well that's a great Absolutely. idea uh, i'd pay more for a house for that so just things like that, if the electric vehicle penetration gets where it is, the grid's going to have more issues than there are today. So if you don't go and actually weatherize your building, uh, there are some fun upgrades you can do on your home, but they don't move the needle as much. It's going to save you $5, 10 $20 per month. Um, but 
if you're a commercial or industrial person, you need to go do this and you need to have someone who knows what they're doing. There's unfortunately some bad actors out there. So you need to get a qualified someone to go out there and help you with this. Um, so that's one of the things I really hope opened a lot of people's eyes just because this is important. This is how we get to our energy efficiency goals. Um, putting up more windmills is one thing, but actually people taking responsibility for themselves is kind of the biggest in my opinion. Well, I'm picking up what you're putting down there. Uh, I would not be a good salesperson if I didn't say that Biostar does a lot of those things you just mentioned, and we'd love to uh, to come out and check if you're listening or watching and you're interested in, in looking at your building efficiency. That is exactly what we do. Um, so thank you for that. And I completely agree. You know, it's, it's time to tackle the low hanging fruit. If you've been looking at a led lighting project and it's been sitting on somebody's desk for five years, go do it. It's a good investment in your building. Your employees will be happier. Go grab that low hanging fruit and start saving money and, and know that you really are contributing to the bigger picture when you do that. Um, all really good stuff. Sean, thank you so much for coming on again. It's, it's great to see you and good luck with the final stretch of the pregnancy. Um, tell our listeners how they can find you online, LinkedIn, Twitter. What are you, uh, are you tweeting? Where, where can they find you? Yeah. So I do a lot on, uh, on LinkedIn. And so you can definitely find me on there. Um, Amperon, uh, is also does a lot on LinkedIn. My co-founder is pretty fun on Twitter. Um, Abe Stanway, and then, um, yeah, and then my emails, uh, Sean, S-E-A-N at Amperon, A-M-P-E-R-O-N dot C-O. Um, so feel free to shoot me an email. Always like to have interesting conversations. Uh, these, these last three weeks have been drinking out of a fire hose, so I'm a little behind. And, and David and I are in the same boat. He's going to give me all his notes since he's two months ahead of us in terms of having a kid. Oh, yeah. So I, I expect just, a, just an API flow. Uh, of all your, of all exactly what to do. I'll, I'll send my, my reading from my Kindle, you know, straight over as I finish it and uh, I'll filter out the bad stuff. No, that sounds great. And Sean mentioned a couple of folks on the show, uh, Andrew Barth, who is a partner over at CSD Energy Advisors. We have an episode with him on the podcast. Um, you also mentioned Sean Andrews, who was, uh, has an episode coming out here in the next couple of weeks. So look out for that. And um, if anybody, if you're not following or subscribed to the podcast, please go and do that wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Renewables. What happened in Texas? Sean, I learned a lot and uh, we hope you'll come back later this year. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Yep. Take care.